Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. By Black & Veatch, building a world of difference. By CanDo, providing actionable insights from utility wastewater data to improve environmental and public health. By Mentor APM, intelligent asset management software built for water. By 374 Water, pioneering a new era in sustainability. By Woodard & Curran, high-quality consulting engineering, science, and operations services. By Interra, innovation and stewardship for a sustainable tomorrow. By Xylem, let's solve water. And by the American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. This is Session 209. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGibsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. I hope everyone is well and thank you for tuning in during this time when there are so many big issues facing the world, the war in Ukraine being chief among them. So please stay safe out there. And we're here to provide a respite from those recent events of the world. Remember, all things shall pass and when they do, you're going to need water. So that's why the work of the Cleveland Water Alliance is so important. Brian Stubbs is going to knock your socks off relating the work of the Cleveland Water Alliance and the way it's fostering water tech paired with economic development. Brian just does a phenomenal job, and you'll really enjoy and appreciate his perspectives and his message. So get ready for a fantastic interview with Brian. We always begin with a hearty thank you to our sponsors. Again, sponsors of the Water Values Podcast include Black & Veatch, Can Do, Mentor APM, 374 Water, Woodard & Curran, Interra, Xylem, and the American Water Works Association. That is just a phenomenal and a terrific collection of impactful companies and organizations that have decided to support water industry, thought leadership, and education. Thank you all. And I'd like for you to do me a favor. If you work for or with any of these sponsors, thank your boss or thank your contact at the sponsor firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. You'd be surprised how far that simple little note of thanks will go. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, CastBox, or whatever other podcast directory you're accessing the podcast on would be greatly appreciated and, of course, will help others find out about the podcast. And if you would, please make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Before we head on to the interview with Brian, let's get our Bluefield on Tap segment with Bluefield Research's Reese Tisdale and his discussion of recent M&A activity in the water sector going. So let's take it away, guys. Well, Reese, welcome back for another Bluefield on Tap. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good, Dave. How about you? I'm doing well, all things considered. What, what's on your mind these days? One thing is if we were, uh, as we were prepping for this and talking about, hey, you know, what is, what is Bluefield seeing? Well, we just went through our year-end uh, mergers and acquisitions analysis. So every year we look at sort of the deal flow globally about what's happening in water, water related acquisitions, whether it be private water, technology treatment, digital water. Uh, we look at, you know, the role of financial investors and so on. And I will say it's been a big year. It's yeah. been amazingly big. Can you break down what sectors saw big year, you know, what, what sectors kind of led 
the the M and A area in the water space? Yeah. So just, you know, at the, at the top line, we identified 495 transactions during 2021, which is huge. And so to put that in perspective, I think 2020 was 371 that we tracked. So huge jump, you know, 25% or so Mm -hmm. increase overall, but also the, really the big jump, I think every segment that we follow increased but the biggest one was private water, which is obviously where you you know you have experience, and private, whether it be investor in utilities or other investors uh, acquiring utilities, particularly in the U.S., was a huge um, huge increase. And that was, you know, we were looking at over two hundred acquisitions uh, in the private water sector, and so that's way above the annual average over the last seven years, which is about 135 in total. So big increase um, in that space. Yeah. So what's driving that? Why, why do you think we saw these types of increases? Well, I would say the, the biggest thing is that um, one, to start with, there's one player in particular, Central States Water Resources out of Missouri, that's been incredibly active. They've just been adding states to their geographic footprint. They're finding very distressed, but yet very small systems that they're acquiring. They acquired 90 systems this past year. So that's a huge chunk right there in and of itself. Um, and then we also see new market entrants, whether it be Nextera, but another, you know, uh, another key piece is Texas has really been active. So there's a lot more deal flow in the state of Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is now what we would consider a fair market value state. So there's a lot of uh, activity there. I think, but you know, the broader context is that I think utilities themselves, particularly the smaller ones, there's still a lot of stress on sort of their, on, on their assets. They're old, they need to be upgraded. Um, and there are a number of players and competition is pretty, uh, pretty heavy to, to roll up these systems. So if there's an opportunity to, you know, pass the buck, if you will, uh, <laughs> to someone who has the capital to, to upgrade the system, that's absolutely the case. And then I would say the other, you know, outside of the private water space, you know, the private equity or financial sector has been really active. We tracked about 47 or 48 acquisitions um, by financial buyers, which is not a huge jump from the prior year. But if, you, if as we've seen, when um, companies are hitting the block, the, the private equity firms have been really active uh, in, in targeting those as well, driving up competition for those assets. Yeah, so I do want to dive into the private equity side, but real quick, you had mentioned uh, on the on the utility side that a lot of the systems are small, they're old, they they need upgrades. Is that is that in fact what a lot of the deals are? They're they're primarily just you know, I'll, I'll use the term distressed systems. Um, you know, we try to identify which ones are distressed. I mean, I think the, just, uh, overall, you know, let's just start with 70% of the systems are small of the acquisitions are small or very small systems. Um, typically and in some cases, these are being sold for basically a dollar, you know, when central States comes in, they're willing to take over the assets. Um, they're in, in dire need of upgrades. So, um, I, that is really central stage strategy overall. Um, 
I think the other thing is, you know, the smaller systems, as we all know, they are the ones that have the, they're less sophisticated, have less access to capital. Um, they still do have regulatory, um, pressures that are, are critical and they have to keep up with these. So I think that's part of it. Um, but also at the same time, a lot of the, you know, a very small group of systems are, are very large, right? So these large systems, I mean, to give you an idea of the large systems like New York, um, American waters, um, system, they sold liberty utilities, you know, that took well over a year to be acquired. Whereas, uh, um, you know, America or aqua Americans acquisition of Del Cora, same, same thing. So the smaller systems are easier to roll up, but they are more often distressed or pressed financially than, than, uh, the larger systems. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's dig back into the private equity side. I appreciate your, you, uh, indulging my sidebar there. Um, uh, what uh, private equity, uh, synonymous with, you know, deals with a B rather than an M. Uh, so can you talk about some of the, the private equity deals that we saw? Yeah. I mean, you know, what we're seeing is, you know, overall there's a greater focus on, um, ESG, so, you know, in environmental, social, you know, corporate sustainability and governance issues. So that's a big part of this. So there's an opportunity for private equity players to get into this space by acquiring water related assets. Um, a lot of, you know, the market has been really strong. Some of these companies are doing quite well, so it is highly competitive. Um, and so a lot of several companies are going on the block. And so what we're seeing is companies like new mountain capital, they acquired Inframark at the end of, it's now 2020. And then they also, at the beginning of the year, started off with by acquiring Aegean. And even since then, Inframark has made four other acquisitions with the backing of new mountain capital. Um, we're also seeing other players, uh, like middle ground capital, they've acquired precast concrete firm. So these companies, you know, the, the financial players are really eager to get into the space. They also have plenty of capital to play. So the question is, I think the real test is going to be, are they going to get the returns they're looking for? So, you know, the, the chickens might com- come home to roost in about three to five years when they realize <laughs> it didn't grow as fast as, as they had hoped, given what they paid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, interesting stuff. All always interesting to talk with you, Reese. Thank you so much, and we really appreciate you coming on and uh, enlightening us on some of the uh, M and A deals we've we've uh, experienced over the past twelve months. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, always happy to help, and look forward to catching up soon. Amen. All right. Thanks, Reese. We'll talk soon. All right, Dave. Take uh, it easy. Bye. As always, great information from Bluefield Research, this time with Reese Tisdale. Now it's on to our feature guest, Brian Stubbs of the Cleveland Water Alliance. So let's get that water flowing. Well, Brian, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So great to have you on. How are you doing today? No, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, David. Yeah. Been looking I'm, forward to this. Yeah, I'm really excited to, to speak with you to this, uh, this morning. Um, for those who uh, are unfamiliar with you, Brian, how about giving us a little uh, thumbnail on who you are and a little about your background on how you got interested in water? Sure. And uh, a path less traveled is how I always start off this <laughs> this question. So, um, you know, I, I've spent most of my career actually in Chicago, even though I'm based in Cleveland now and kind of a reformed entrepreneur, 
had gone back to get my uh, MBA from University of Illinois, Chicago, and had gotten deeply engaged around kind of more technology-based economic development and community-based economic development. And the uh, program there in Chicago was just a fabulous program. And as part of that, after I uh, sold my, uh, my venture, was um, you know doing some really interesting work with some really interesting community development corporations and CDFIs or financial uh, lending-based organizations in Chicago. And as part of that, I worked a lot around innovation and technology through the healthcare system um, in Chicago, but I also got heavy into energy-based clean tech innovation and technology. And that led me down this road of you know, kind of more sustainably molded economic development. You know, how do we really encourage innovation that happens for the betterment of society as opposed to just a a new and improved widget? And, you know, through that work and through my journey, I found myself uh, going and doing a research project in San Francisco where I really studied more deeply this idea of sustainable management. And while I was there, I got recruited to Ohio through a three-year contract called the Oberlin Project, which was a a pretty interesting project around uh, sustainability initiatives for the city of Oberlin and Oberlin College. And it was a great program. I loved it. But as that three years was winding down, I was looking at, uh, you know, maybe heading back to Chicago or heading out west. But I was fascinated by this thing outside our front doors called the Great Lakes. And at that same time, a group of uh, civic leaders in Cleveland had said, hey, we think there is a there there in terms of all these great companies in Cleveland that are in what we now define as the water economy, some call it the blue economy. We're putting together this innovation and economic development effort. Would you consider coming in and and getting this stood up for us? And for me, it was really a no-brainer. I mean, it seems obvious that water is, again, going to be kind of the linchpin of our society and our economic systems moving forward. And why not be doing that work where we have 21% of the world's fresh surface water? So a happy little thing where, you know, also my wife said, grass isn't greener. We like it here. So let's get to work. So that's how I found myself in Cleveland running the Cleveland Water Alliance. That's awesome. That's awesome. So tell me a little more about the Cleveland Water Alliance. What do you kind of do and what what's your 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 day-to-day Right. Well, you know, we all we all have these like visions of what we want and expect our day to day to be and then reality <laughs> happens. But in all seriousness, so the Cleveland Water Alliance, we're we're an economic development agency through the lens of water innovation and water technology. And you first start with this question of why Cleveland? Well, if if folks have any store, sort of like historical knowledge in terms of the Clean Water Act and the formation of the EPA, a lot of that was really brought to the attention in the late 60s, early 70s, when a river here called the Cuyahoga River last caught on fire. And that was covered by Time Magazine and it kind of galvanized that, you know, we can't think of our river systems as industrial dumping zones and it's not healthy when a river catches on fire. And yes, part of that, and those cleanup efforts, those innovation efforts, Uh, Cleveland has a really robust, and when I say Cleveland, I'm talking about greater Cleveland, uh, all of Northeast Ohio, really has a robust set of players within the water economy space, whether it's a a Parker Hannafin, a Gorman Rupp that does pumps, uh, Moen, which is the biggest, you know, uh, you know, plumbing fixture company, a company like Odie. We have all these great companies here. And so what we said was, wow, we have a real 
sharp opportunity to really drive innovation and partnership with Case Western, Ohio State, all these great companies, and the fact that we're sitting on 21% of the world's fresh surface water. We've always thought of Lake Erie as kind of a petri dish for innovation. And so what we do is to try to facilitate bringing all those partners together where one-on-one adds up to five, where suddenly we see new research being funded. We see new products reaching to market. So at our core, that's what the Cleveland Water Alliance is measured on. Those are our metrics. It's the fastest growing sector regionally, you know, which is fascinating to me. I mean, we're adding 300 net new jobs just in Cuyahoga County, the county that Cleveland's in, in the water economy annually. That's more than all of these other areas that people talk about, like advanced manufacturing or, you know, even us being home of the Cleveland Clinic, you know, biohealth is a big play here, but we're adding more jobs in biohealth. And really that's a tip of the hand to, uh, you know, what's going on both nationally and internationally where water kind of dragged behind in terms of innovation for decades. And suddenly we're trying to play catch up. So, you know, we, we sit here and we say, how can we accelerate innovation technology, get products to market more quickly? Yeah, I mean, that's a real feather in your cap that you're one of the leading job creators or that the water sector is the one of the leading job creators. How, how, do you have any thoughts on how you get all those uh, diverse organizations onto the same page uh, to, to, you know, come together within the Cleveland Water Alliance? Well, yeah, we always talk about, you know, the, the cliche of herding cats, and I call it herding cats while on an ice rink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, no, look, you've you've got to have this like common set of, of goals. And, you know, our common goal is we have a lot of great players here. We have great corporate leadership from the water perspective. We have really good leadership at the utility sector. When I look at somebody like a Kyle Dreyfus Wells that's running Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, new leaders, younger leaders, it's getting them to all come together to say, wow, we have something here. We have the ingredients for something special. And Cleveland should be known as a water-centric city from a variety of perspectives. So you start with laying that that vision of we can really build something special here. And then, you know, you get more into those codified metrics and codified, you know, kind of statements. And for us, there's no reason why Cleveland can't be one of the homes for water innovation, water technology worldwide. And once we started going down that road, started receiving shared funding, so we're increasing the pie, not trying to divide that, that funding pie out there, but increasing that funding pie, people start paying attention real fast, and then they get it, and then they start dedicating more financial resources to the, uh, to the proposition. Yeah, so can you talk, like, what are some of the projects that you've undertaken to help, help develop, you know, Cleveland as a, as a water hub? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we're really excited about is what's known as water technology test beds. And this was a strategy that we put together a little under two years ago with um, some great consulting help through McKinsey and Company, where we really evaluated, you know, the the ingredients of, you know, the Cleveland story about the companies, about the innovation, about R&D dollars, about our research institutions. And we asked this question of, why don't we see more water tech getting into the market? And, you know, we could spend a whole podcast episode just in terms of how water was and infrastructure was funded decades ago, how it's not funded now. Maybe we're going to get a little more funding in there, but it really left this kind of wide open gap, if you will, of 
you know, sometimes taking 10 to 15 years of getting a new product to market within the water space. And, you know, some of that's legitimate. We're dealing with with public health and, you know, a risk aversion by utilities. But we, we asked and then answered this question of what can we do to accelerate innovation? And the answer was this, really developing kind of plug and play test beds that allow innovators to come and trial new technologies directly with those customers. So for us, we, we ultimately will be standing up four test beds, but the first two, an open water watershed test bed, then immunity utility test bed, you know, it's where we're spending our energy um, over this last year. And we received a federal award through the U.S. Economic Development Administration to start to stand these up for uh, $1.2 million. And then the state of Ohio came in with an additional $3 million uh, a couple months ago to really stand up these water technology accelerators. So we've been spending the last year starting to build these assets, trialing some technologies through this process. And it's turning out to be just dynamite in terms of reception. And look, I'll give you an example. Our, our Muni Utility Testbed, we're trialing technologies right now, David, that are trying to develop ways to identify lead service lines without breaking ground. And we ask ourselves this question of, you know, hey, Cleveland Water, what's, you know, if you wake up at 2.30 in the morning and, and you know, sweating, what, what is it? What are you thinking about? And every utility came back to us and said, it's the identification of lead service lines. We don't have them well mapped out. We can only go so far with, you know, artificial intelligence, data, analytic plays. We need something that will let us see those lead pipes before we break ground. So, as part of the Muni Utility Testbed, we developed a pipe farm in partnership with Cleveland Water and five other utilities ranging from Cincinnati, Akron, Conneaut, Sandusky, and Aqua, Ohio, so both public and private utilities. And we put out a big call for innovations, and now these innovators worldwide are coming to Cleveland and working with us and with Cleveland Water to trial these technologies. But the fact that they can go on site and trial these technologies. They have workers from Cleveland Water working with them as they trialing these for phase one. In phase two, they'll be out with crews from Cleveland Water trialing these. It's that sort of connection of getting the innovator matched with ultimately the customer and having them help vet it, do trial and error, improve those technologies. That's turning out to be a eureka moment that we just haven't seen out there. We're not the first to talk about test beds, you know, but we're the first to say, yeah, but the test bed's movable. We're going to take it directly to the customer. It's not some stale warehouse or, you know, uh, you know, workbench somewhere. This gets you out of the workbench. And through doing that, and then, of course, we, we stack on all those support services, access to capital, uh, access to our corporate base, which may put dollars in. And sure enough, we're seeing that happen now into these innovations. That is a game changer. And we're getting a tremendous response, not only nationally, but internationally uh, in terms of companies wanting to come in and try all those big names that we've all heard of, as well as really unique products. So that's the unique part of what we're doing in terms of accelerating innovation is making this ecosystem that's responsive to market-driven need and accelerating those solutions to that market-driven solution. Yeah, that that is awesome that Cleveland Water is is participating like that. I mean, what what did they have concerns about about you know essentially um, working with you know new technologies to, that that might potentially disrupt their service to their customers? I mean, how how, how did that relationship get going? 
Well, first and foremost, with, with these sort of partnerships, you have to build up that trust and that doesn't happen overnight. So, you know, we've been a good partner in this case to Cleveland Water, you know, since I came on board as the first full-time employee of the Cleveland Water Alliance, you know, seven plus years ago. So it's really about, you know, saying what you mean, being sensitive to, to what you're alluding to there, which is there is some pretty sensitive equipment that we can't touch and we don't want to touch, but can we build ways around it so that we can still trial technologies without the potential for disruption of mission critical um, assets and machinery? So we've gone into always saying like, look, we're not going to touch anything, but you know, that, that could disrupt anything. But on the flip side, we want your people working with us. We may build some diversion systems in and around their plants. In the case of the pipe farm is a great example, though, where Cleveland Water put in resources. They gave us land. And, you know, they built this pipe farm that has all sorts of different types of pipes buried at different distances with different aggregate on it, different sort of solders, some with moving water in them and some without moving water in them. So whenever possible, when it comes to the muni utility, you know, we're trying to develop these side-by-side solutions, but we do it on site, which gets them engaged. So you've got to take that perspective. Now on the muni or on the uh, open water watershed, that was completely different because that's dealing generally with monitoring sort of devices. And that one is just fascinating because everybody wants to work with us. It's nowhere near as burdensome in terms of that equipment. And it's lead to the point where Cleveland Water Alliance has actually been taking on contracts to stand up. You know, in the case of Cleveland Water, we now control four of their buoys. They had two water quality buoys out on Lake Erie a year ago. They contracted with us to put in two more. But what's really interesting here is we moved them to a data as a service model, which was a much easier way to get that innovation you know, into place, you know, selling a data model versus a capital model to city council is a completely different story. But within that same breath, we built into that contract the ability for us to come in and trial and plug and play all sorts of different sensors, SONs, uh, et cetera, into that contract. So they've been an amazing partner. But look, it's I'm not going to say every utility out there is going to open the door. You've got to be sensitive to their needs. And, you know, quite bluntly, our biggest bill over this last year has been developing these legal instruments and insurance instruments to make sure that if, God forbid, something were to go wrong, they're covered and we're covered. Um, and having really buy, binding contracts in terms of our innovators coming in on how they work and how they are managed through the process. So a lot of moving parts there, but... You know, it starts with that trust building and then it ends with, you know, codifying how do we do this? Yeah, I, I, I'd agree. You know, speaking as a lawyer, I'd, I'd agree there's a lot of, uh, you know, risk issues involved with that. How, how do you uh, how do you vet kind of the the participants in the Cleveland Water Alliance? I mean, what is there something you're looking for? Are there certain parameters that a potential company or innovator needs or entrepreneur needs in order to, to gain acceptance to the program? Yeah, so there's a couple ways that we, you know, we approach this this validation question. You know, the first is if somebody's coming to us and wants to utilize some aspect of the test bed assets, we're asking these questions around, you know, market need, um, you know, maturity level of the innovation, uh, you know, readiness le- uh, technology readiness level, um, you know, things like that. We do have a whole intake process, intake form. 
But the other thing that we do is, you know, we put together sometimes, and I'll give the example of the uh, lead service line identification. We actually brought all of our utilities together to form a committee to review these innovations. And they said, these are, in this case, these are the six really promising ones that we would like to see next. So, you know, the shorter, more direct answer is we do a pretty decent uh, set of validations to make sure it's legit, make sure there's a market need. There's not a market need, we're less interested. Then we bring in those experts to kind of help us, you know, really validate that technology. So, you know, it starts there. As you can imagine, you know, our our email and phones have been blowing up and this is before we're even really advertising these watershed and uh, test bed, uh, utility test bed assets, you know. So we do want to have an ability to kind of say, Here's step one, here's step two, and here's steps three in the validation process. Yeah. What about matriculating through the program? I mean, are, can you talk about some of the successes you've had and getting, getting technologies to, uh, to market? Yeah, we've been spending a lot of time on this question of, you know, it's one thing to validate the technology, but it's another thing to validate and then accelerate entry into the market. Um, you know, so to that point, we really rely on our ecosystem. There's a lot of multinationals at our table that have a deep interest in what's going on here. So, uh, you know, case in point, and we can publicly discuss this one at this point, there's a there's a French company, BioCianor, that uh, does a lot of European-based um, data work, you know, sensors, uh, water quality, and they've been developing a pretty interesting uh, solution for something that's near and dear to our problematic heart in the Great Lakes, as well as other places, and that's hypoxia. You know, when when oxygen-starved water gets into our water intakes, it creates some pretty significant challenges and headaches and chemistry challenges as well for our water utility uh, chemists. And, you know, they've been working with us through the test bit to develop a very active early warning system. Um, so the question is, yeah, have we been able to validate it now and trial and error it? Yeah, we're there. It's really happy. So now we're working with them on one, getting them set up with an office in Cleveland two, getting them introductions to the water utilities themselves and getting those early pilots through those water utilities. So we really take a hands-on approach to connecting them to the market, to the market needs. We've taken a lot of time, a lot of time, David, to build up that trust with our utility partners in this case, that if I come to them or if our director of innovation comes to them, they know it's a serious product. They know we're not trying to waste anybody's time. And that really goes a pretty large distance in, in getting it there. Now, the other part of this is on newer innovations. And in that case, you know, we're, we're having to really roll up our sleeves from an entrepreneurial standpoint, help them do fundraises. We are you know, planning on launching a uh, $5 million seed fund. Uh, so these are small, really significant amounts of capital early in the innovation process that range from two hundred fifty to $500,000 investments. And we then work with them on, you know, can you lead this company? Can you lead this innovation? Do we need to help find somebody? So it's a lot of handholding as it should be. So, it depends on the maturity of the company or the maturity of the entrepreneur. But yeah, we, we really see that as important as validating the technology in itself is getting them into market in a, in a concise way. Excellent. So let me ask you this. Uh, I'll shift gears on you a little here. Um, you, you mentioned 21% of the world's fresh water in the great lakes. Uh, and I've, we've, 
essentially climate change is going to be experienced by most people. And I'm stealing this from Claudia Toussaint of Xylem. And she said, you know, climate change is going to be experienced by most people through having too much water or too little water. How How is the Cleveland's Water Alliance space in the Great Lakes? Uh, how do you view that within the whole climate resilience equation? Yeah, climate has been first and foremost on our minds over this last year as we've been developing some responses to climate adaptation and resiliency in work with Cuyahoga County and work with the Climate Disclosure Project, or CDP. Um, So first and foremost, I'm sitting here today looking out my window, and it's been raining on and off for about three days here, and that's kind of the new normal here. We are wetter, but we also are investing in moving that water fairly quickly and responsibly so. When I look at the the CSO work of Northeast Ohio Regional Sewer District, that's $3 billion investment, but it was not built just to separate our stormwater systems. It was built for more water coming at us in more intense ways and then areas of drought in there. So that being said, on one hand, from an infrastructure standpoint, we're trying to develop some robust infrastructure to handle what we feel is coming at us. And I think we can do that. Um, as far as the Great Lakes and you know, one important distinction and, and your question is the Great Lakes are 21% of the world's uh, fresh surface water. So if you take all the water locked underground and all that, there's, there's another equation there. So we do wanna be careful. So the, the hardcore scientists don't yell at me about that. So I wanted to make that clear, but you know, lake levels are, are, in our case, rising because of more moisture. Um, so there is some issues around coastal resiliency that we have to talk about, about shoreline erosion that we have to talk about. And look, we're trying to take this innovation-based approach to this. So uh, a real-world example is we've been funding in partnership with Ohio Department of Natural Resources Office of Coastal Management a biomimicry-based innovation PhD fellow. So we're paying for this person Um, who's just an amazing scientist in her own right coming out of Case Western on material side to develop new and different materials for shoreline stabilization, looking both at engineered opportunities, but also biomimic-based opportunities. So we're trialing all these new technologies to make our coastline more resilient. So I say all that to say, look, there's a lot that we can do that's under our control the things that concern me that keep me up at night as it relates to our climate impacts and more water, it's going to be on nutrient loading. We have a lot of work to do there. It's nutrient loading that's causing harmful algal blooms in Lake Erie. That's our biggest headache right now. I'm sure some of your listeners will remember when Toledo's system was shut down um, in 2014 for two and a half days because of a cyanotoxin detection. And that's a uh, cyanotoxin microcystin from harmful algal blooms. So we got some real challenges there. But I'll close with this point on on the climate thing. The flip is, it turns out northern Ohio and northeast Ohio in particular is pretty climate resilient anyway. We're not expecting some of these challenges that other parts of the country are experiencing. We're not going to have sea level rise. We're not going to have uh, more uh, hurricanes because we really don't get hurricanes. We're not prone to forest fires. So to that point, we've actually been developing some financial metrics and calculators that say, what is the cost to do business if you're say in Houston versus the cost of business 
to be in Northeast Ohio. And it turns out we're starting to see this financial equation that says, if you want a boring climate, come to Northeast Ohio. So I'll leave you with that. I just hit you with a lot, but there's a, there's a lot of thoughts on this and a lot of good work on it going on. Yeah. It's, I think the climate question is, is fascinating and I appreciate your perspective on that. Uh, you know, Brian, you've been absolutely great. I've, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Um, for, you know, let's, let's, I'll, I'll ask you this. What is your leave behind message? If to the extent you've got one and haven't already conveyed it. Well, it's going to be this, that water is going to become more and more important. Water innovation, it's going to become more and more important. It's time we start looking at helping our utilities and others innovate their industry. It's a huge opportunity, significant opportunity. It's a worldwide opportunity. When I think back of what is manufactured without water, what is a chip manufacturer without water? What is a server farm without water? You know, even as our our economy evolves and changes, it still involves a lot of water. So the idea of driving a regional economy on the water economy is something that people should take serious. Um, it's, it's a booming, booming part of our economy, as I mentioned, in Northeast Ohio. So, uh, you know, there's plenty of room in the boat. Hop on in. We'd love to have you. <laughs> That's great. So, so Brian, for those who are uh, interested in finding out more about the Cleveland Water Alliance and more about you, where can they go to get that information? Our website, uh, clevelandwateralliance.org, is a great place to uh, start. All of our information's on there. Um, you know, contact and all that kind of fun stuff. Of course, we're active on uh, social media, Twitter and LinkedIn being the good ones, but uh, just reach out. Uh, our phone number's on there. You can call anytime. You can send an email. We've got a great team and uh, we'd love to talk with you and get you engaged within our uh, innovation ecosystem. Awesome. Well, Brian, thanks so much again. You've been terrific and we're glad you landed in the Midwest. So thanks again. <laughs> I appreciate that, David. I know you're just a state over from me and uh, I, I feel I take comfort in that and just really appreciate the work that you do. Thank you. Oh, you bet. All right. Thanks, Brian. Bye. Bye-bye. Wasn't Brian phenomenal? Just makes you want to move to Cleveland to be part of what he's helping build over at the Cleveland Water Alliance. Thanks again for the great interview, Brian. You were awesome. Now, I'd love to know what you thought about that interview. Please check out the show notes for this page and the links for the episode. Just Google the Water Values Podcast. Click on the first link that comes up. That's going to be our home on Bluefield Research's site. Uh, Again, the Water Values and Bluefield Research are not affiliated companies. We just have a joint marketing arrangement. And as part of that, Bluefield gives us a home on the web. So thank you to the folks at Bluefield. You can also tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values and tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david.mcgimsey at dentons.com and you can sign up for the newsletter at the landing page as well. And thank you again for tuning in and I hope you make it a great day. Plus, I want to give you a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, the sponsors of the Water Values Podcast for the 2022 season include Black & Veatch, Can Do, Mentor APM, 374 Water, Woodard and Curran, Interra, Xylem, and the American Waterworks Association. Great so, great set of companies, and the show would not be possible without those great companies and, and industry leaders. And again, thank you for your support and for listening. I can't tell you how good it feels to be part of the waters industry with such caring and dedicated participants, and I get to work with you and interact with you every day. It's just uh, an extreme privilege on my part, so thank you so much. 
In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.